Hope, it is, uh, it's been fun to go through this series called Five Habits of Highly Effective Christians. Thank you, Haley. Not only does she do Hope 360 announcements, she also takes care of all the props. Why not for our outreach minister, Haley, huh? All right. All right, cool. We're just, all right. Give, you know what? Let's just turn to the person and say, I'm really glad you're here too. Not just the people who are on stage today. I want to make sure like, yeah, okay, good. All right. Now I guess we can start the sermon, right? All right. Well, this has been fun. We've been going through a series called Five Habits of Highly Effective Christians. We've talked about gather, grow, and love. Next week, you'll have to see how we're going to conclude this series. But this week, we're talking about group. We're talking about how we're better together. We're talking about deeper friendships that our souls are all longing for. Anybody find that it's not super easy to make friends sometimes? I find that it's not the easiest thing in the world to make friends. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. I saw some tweets this last week talking about how terrible it can be to try to make friends sometimes. Maybe you feel like you can't make friends because you're awkward. Me, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. Someone, hi. Me, ah! Uh, There's someone else who maybe isn't making friends because they don't have the most personable skills in the world. They say to uh, their therapist on the next slide, says to them, anyways, me. Anyways isn't a word. You mean anyway, therapist, anyway. So we're talking about your difficulty making friends. It can be hard if you're not feeling very personable. Here is another example for why sometimes it's hard. Anybody can relate to this? Him. Hi, I'm Tom. Me. Nice to meet you. Uh, my brain. Come on. He literally just said his name three seconds ago. Uh, hi, Mom. Like, anybody else have that issue? Oh, my goodness. Somebody says their name and it just goes right over your head. Like You try to soak it in and I don't know, you're paying attention to someone else. How about this on the next slide? I wish making friends as an adult was easier, but I also wish I didn't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Making friends can be hard. Uh, Here's uh, my favorite one. Nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. (laughs) Or his 40s, or his 50s, or his 60s. Well, I guess he's the eternal God, so he, you know, anyway. So making friends can be hard, but making friends is essential to Christianity. When somebody asks Jesus what's the most important thing someone who loves God can do, What's the most important law a person can follow? What's the most important thing that someone can do to honor God? Jesus responded with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. He said, that's the first commandment, but the second commandment is equally important. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, loving God and loving others are inseparable from one another. Christianity necessitates relationship. And not just any kind of relationship. The kind of relationship that the love of God inspires you to have with other people. This is deep relationship. This is deep friendship. So why is it so hard to do that? Maybe it's scary to make friends. There's a lot of different fears that we try to balance all the time. What are the things that we're the most afraid of these days? Because having friends can address some of these fears that we have. Biggest fears in the United States, according to Axios, as of this year is life-threatening illness, losing a loved one, economy, job security, violence, and wars. Um, this, these kind of, I think, change depending on which survey you look at and what year we're in. But as of this year, the biggest fear that United States Americans have is a life-threatening illness. We've been talking a lot about how to keep ourselves healthy. We've been talking a lot about physical well-being lately, and I think that's a good thing. We should do what we can to keep ourselves physically well. We're in a pandemic, after all. But what if we are missing the point? What if we're not taking care of our whole self when it comes to keeping ourselves healthy? 
What if this biggest fear that we have in our country right now could be helped by something that we're just missing and something that sometimes I think that we often resist? There's a, a professor from BYU. Uh, her name is on the next slide. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Dr. Julian Holt-Lundstad. She's a professor of psychology at Brigham Young University. And she observed thousands of adults. She led a study that observed thousands of adults. And the point of it was to study and figure out what contributes to a long life. Out of all the things in your life, what are the things that you can do that will help you live longer? And the results are shocking. Even more than clean air, even more than being underweight, even more than getting vaccines, even more than quitting smoking or boozing, even more than close relationships. Or excuse me, even, well, okay, I spoiled it, didn't I? Close relationships and social integration are the two most important things that you, can get, that you can invest in in order to have a longer life. When we talk about our health, when we talk about our well-being, so often this goes over our heads, doesn't it? Because we think about our physical health. And our physical health is so important. People are investing in it more and more, and that's really important. I read this week that in the last two years since the pandemic start, at-home fitness equipment has doubled in sales per year which is incredible. Now, I also think that it's interesting that, uh, that uh, at the same time, researchers have found that at least 42% of US American adults have put on 25 pounds over the pandemic as well. So, but the Peloton makes for a great home decoration, so it's, it's, it's fine. In her conclusions, she wrote this, loneliness and social isolation is more damaging to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's crazy, isn't it? All these different things. She also wrote later on that even more important than managing your weight, it's important that you address your loneliness. So maybe if you're spending a lot of time alone exercising, you've got the perfect six-pack abs, you might not be as healthy as someone that you're comparing yourself to. These are the things that give us a longer life. These are the things that give us real health. Social integration and close relationships. So let's go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think that we should be surprised that when Jesus is talking about the way that we can be healthy, he is talking about it at the deepest level. Your physical well-being is so important and you ought to do what you can to keep yourself physically well. But Jesus, I believe, understands that there's something deeper, that there's something more important. Of course your creator understands this. That even beneath your physical well-being, you have a heart, you have a soul, and you have a mind that directly impacts the way that you are able to physically operate in this world and the way that you are able to physically survive and how long you can do that in this world. Jesus says for your heart and your soul and your mind to come alive, for your body to truly thrive, you must invest in relationship. Relationship with your creator. Relationship with your neighbor. This is critical for us. This is so important. That's why we're diving into this. You heard about this in announcements today. It's Hope Groups. We're kicking, them, kicking this off in February. Every single Tuesday night from 6.30 to 7.30, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to get to know your neighbors in this church. We want you to have deep, lasting friendships. Not just because it'll help you show up to church more often. That's like seventh or eighth on the list. Most important, this is good for you. This is good for your faith. And just as Jesus suggests in the book of Matthew, what is good for your faith is good for your entire life. As you develop your faith, you become a healthier person. 
This is something that we're struggling with these days. It is alarming. I mean, it's truly alarming that loneliness is such a, 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 is such a threat to our health because so many of us are lonely. There are other studies that have come out recently that say that around half of United States Americans are feeling like they are extremely lonely. They would consider themselves extremely lonely. About half of United States Americans say that they realize they have people around them, but they feel like they have no one they can lean on. Again, about half of US Americans say that there's no one who truly understands them. So about half of us in this room, we're struggling with this. About half of us in this room are struggling with the thing that is the biggest threat to our health. The biggest threat to our health. There's another psychologist who said the most important thing for a fulfilling and satisfying life is for you to have close relationships in your life. And how many of us are missing those? It seems so shocking. It seems so weird that this could be true because we have more things to do, right? We have more opportunities to have a social life. We have more opportunities to have those surface level interactions with people, but we're talking about something deeper today. There's a difference between a social life and deep relationship, isn't there? You heard the term social distancing by now. Of course you have. For two years, it's all we've been hearing. And if you're like me, you hear the word social distancing and you still twitch a little bit. It just brings out the worst in you almost. And we've been practicing it more often than not at different times. But the interesting thing is it didn't take for a pandemic to happen for a lot of us to start practicing social distancing in theory, or at least in our hearts. A lot of us knew what it was like to social distance anyway. I mean, we've got all the opportunities and all the ways to get around each other. We've got all these different things that we can add to our schedules. We've got all these different places where we can go and we can meet people. But just because we have a social life doesn't mean that we have deep relationships. We can still feel distant. It is why half of US Americans feel like there are people around them, but no one really knows them. Are you feeling like that? We're rubbing shoulders, but are we actually getting involved in one another's lives? We can do that, can't we? There is a difference between a social life and real friendship. I think about it like this. I've told you all before that my favorite drink, honestly, my favorite thing to consume in general is chocolate milk. I don't waste my time with pre-mixed chocolate milk because I have found a better ratio than what they sell in the store, and you cannot convince me otherwise. And so how do you make your chocolate milk, right? Okay, so you pour in your milk. Awesome, okay. This is a very big jar, so I will have a very big treat after the sermon. You've got your milk in there, and then you've got your chocolate syrup. And you say, okay, well, that's enough. Not even close. Don't... You don't even know. A little more? Yeah? Okay. So here, I've got milk and I've got chocolate. But I don't have chocolate milk, right? I have milk and chocolate. But it's not chocolate milk yet. In order for this to become chocolate milk, these two things have to stir into one another. And I think that's the way that a lot of us are living our lives. We show up to places, we're around one another, but we're not actually stirring into one another. Do you feel like you're alone? Do you feel like you're isolated? Do you feel like you're lonely? And even though you're putting forth your best effort, maybe in your fitness, in your diet, in your research, or at least you're thinking about those things, right? You still don't feel like your whole self is healthy. Look, there's a difference between a social life and real friendship, isn't there? We can be around each other, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're with one another. We need, we need something to really stir us together, don't we? I'm not talking about just having friends that you can go to the bar with. I'm not just talking about the parents that you meet up with at your kids' games. 
I'm not just talking about the person who sits on the other side of the classroom as you. I'm talking about people that you are doing life with. Again, there is a difference between a social life and real relationship, real friendship. A social life will always give you something to do, but a friendship will give you a person. A social life might give you a really great reputation, but a friendship will give you a relationship. Social life is overrated. It's important to have things to do. But a friendship is deep and needed. I also found it interesting that research, this is clear on this. I mean, this is probably just observational, if anything. But we have more things to do now than ever. More things to do. More reasons to get together. And yet, more than ever than any other time in history, we feel alone. And it's only getting worse. It's scary. Older generations, they're feeling lonelier than ever. ever. The generation below the older generations, they feel lonelier than the older generations. Millennials and Gen Zs, that number that was half of people, feel like they're lonely. 70% of millennials and Gen Zs feel like they're lonely. Feel like they're around people, but nobody really knows them. It's only getting worse, and it needs to stop with us. It needs to stop with the church, because that's who we are. I want you to get involved in a hope group because you can be a part of stopping the loneliness in this world. And maybe you're like, oh, what's what's the difference going to make? You should make a difference in one person's life. Yes, but it will be one more person. Show up to these hope groups. Invest in real friendship, Christ-centered relationship. Really do life together. This is what the church is supposed to be known for. This is how the church started. Oftentimes in our brains today, we get the idea of church if it's just a place that we show up to on Sunday morning. But that's not the way that the church started. In Acts chapter 2, just before the Bible reading, we read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now some context. Peter was one of Jesus' best friends and disciples. After Jesus had died, rose from the dead, Peter got in front of people and he gave a sermon. Before the sermon, there were 120 believers. Peter gave a very non-eloquent sermon, nothing special about it. He basically said, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus is coming back, and one day we're going to understand what that means. 3,000 people, then we're baptized after that. And I'm like, do you know how hard we work on our sermons these days, Peter? Man, a couple chapters later, it says a few more thousand joined the church after that. They couldn't stop gathering with one another. In Acts chapter 2, 44, it says, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. Some of you are like, sharing everything they had? I saw what my neighbor was driving into church this morning. Why not, huh? It's, It's deeper than that, isn't it? They shared their life together. In the English translation there, we have they met together, but in the original Greek, what it really says is they just were together. Well, when were they together? Were they together on, on, on Sundays or times outside of Sundays? Yes. Well, where were they together? Like in the church or, or were they together in their homes? Yes. They were together. They just couldn't help themselves. They were always together. Oftentimes on Saturday nights, I'll go down to West Des Moines um, to worship uh, down there just to enjoy the, the Hope West Des Moines service on Saturday nights. Um, and I was there last night. And uh, when I showed up there, I saw uh, four people from our Hope Ames congregation who are again here today. And one thing that I realize after I keep on going to West Des Moines every now and then, every time I'm there, they are there. And it's these four who are always there together. 
They come to church on Saturday. They come to church on Sunday. They will be at Alpha tomorrow night. I will probably see one of them in my office this week. I will get a phone call or a text another point this week. They are just always together. They're always doing life together. I'm doing my absolute best not to look at them right now. <laughs> but they just do life together. And I will also tell you this. They are the most joyful, alive, and happy people that I know right now. They are full on God's spirit. In the book of Acts, it says that they gathered together daily for worship. They gathered together daily for worship. You know what's coming next. You know what we're doing. No, okay, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that yet. That's not realistic for us right now with where we're living and how we're doing life. But I'm telling you, if you call for it, don't tempt us. We'll do it. We'll need more volunteers, but we'll do it. You know, it's amazing. In the early church, and I believe for the Christians who are the most alive today, Worship does not get in the way of normal life. Normal life is an interference to worship. Just getting through the other things so that I can worship. And worship does not just happen on a Sunday morning here. Worship happens in our time together. In our time that we were together, that we are together. Our life together. Where we're sharing everything that we have. Let's go back to our chocolate and milk. This is chocolate, this is milk. It's not chocolate milk, it's milk and chocolate. Here in this church, it could just be you and me. In our community, it could be them and us. In this world, it could be more you and me. You and me means that we rub shoulders. You and me shows that means that we show up in the same place. But there is a difference between you and me and us. You and me says, I'll be there. Us means, I love you. I care about you. I want to do life together. I want our lives to mix into one another. Milk is fine. Chocolate is fine. But man, there is something spectacular when they're stirred together. And to the naked eye, you don't know what holds these things together. But there's something happening in there that keeps the milk and the chocolate together. And no longer is it milk and chocolate. It's chocolate milk. Oh, praise God. <laughs> Someone almost clapped. That would have been great. At Hope, we don't want to be you and me. We want to be us. We want to be we. That's what the early church was. The Christians who are on fire these days, that's what, that's what they're doing. You want your faith to ignite? Become we with others. Create more us's in this world. I mean, think about it. Why did early Christianity stick? They lived in a world where there were a lot of belief systems. There were a lot of religions. Christianity stuck like no other religion had ever stuck before. In the Jewish tradition, the religious establishment would say, if you want to be one of us, you have to convert to us, not just to our belief system, but also to our culture. You have to look like us, you have to dress like us, you have to eat the same as us, you have to follow the same customs as us. And so there are many people called the Gentiles who are not Jewish people, and they felt excluded. It was you, and then there's us. On the other side, there were the Greeks, and there were the Romans, and they would boast their philosophies and their intellect, and you couldn't hang out with them unless you had a certain level of knowledge and understanding about the world around you. 
You had to be educated. You had to have a certain level of degree. And so people would look at them and say, there's you and then there's us. They didn't hang around one another. Why would they hang around one another? And yet, when you look at the Bible, Galatians says this in chapter 3, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For the first time in history, there was a faith, there was a belief, there was a family that didn't come from a culture, but there was a family that came from God to claim all cultures, to welcome every person, to break the barrier between you and me and to create an us in this world, to stir us together, to mix us together. There's something that's happening in here to, that we cannot see with our naked eye that draws us together. And I believe that when people look at the church, they ought to be confused. Why in the world are those people hanging, around, hanging out with one another? One of my favorite things about getting to know all of you is I realize there are a lot of different people in this church. I don't just mean like unique, like some of us are quirky. I'm pretty quirky, I get it. But I mean like different from one another. In this church, there are so many people who are different from one another. I get it, we live in Ames, Iowa, and typically people who live in Ames, Iowa, a lot of us look the same. And I pray that this becomes a community, and trends are showing that it will. I pray that this becomes a community where people start to physically look different. Because it will push us. Because it will help us learn how to really love. Help us learn how to really welcome other people. Help us really know how to love like God loves. But nonetheless, even today, we're different, aren't we? And I want this to be a church. I want the body of Christ to be a body that people look at and think, what in the world is keeping them together? I can't tell with my naked eye. Well, it's Christ, isn't it? It's not your customs. It's not the way you dress. It's not what you eat. It's not the way that you talk. It's not what you know. It's not what you've accomplished. It's not the level of conversation that you can have with others and make yourself feel a little bit more elite. It is a Jesus who does not come from a culture but comes for all cultures, welcomes every single person so that everyone can have friendship with God and that everyone would have a reason to have friendship with others, to be one. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I really think it's worth noting again. I want you to pay attention to that word one. Notice it doesn't say the same. There are portions in the Bible where it says we're all same in Christ, like we're the same in Christ. Yes, like there's value to the word same, but there is a difference in some context between one and same. Same says that everyone has to look the same, act the same, be the same, talk the same, blank the same in order to hang out in the same places. But one means that we could be different and still be family. We could celebrate our differences and still be together. This is what it was for the early church, and this is what it should be for us too. Acts chapter 2, it tells us a detail about the early church, and the detail is it was big, and they were from everywhere. Here we are, the church said. Pathians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, by the way, both and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs. They're from everywhere. And then it continues this at the end of Acts chapter 2. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and, and prayer. They were together from all over the place. And there was no reason that they ought to have hung out with one another other than the fact that there was a Jesus who united them. 
We have a saying that we're fond of around here, and it is the Jesus who unites us is bigger than anything that could divide us. The Jesus who unites us allows us to be one, even though all of us are not always the same on every single thing. The Jesus who unites us brings us together into fellowship. And we shouldn't be surprised when it says at the end of the passage, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you ever find that the places where everyone is welcome, those are the most crowded spots? And maybe sometimes we feel better about ourselves when we're in the quieter spots because we feel like we had to work to get there. And there's nothing wrong with getting a degree. There's nothing wrong with having alone time with your family. There's nothing wrong with having alone time with yourself. There's nothing wrong with spending time alone. But our lives and our investment and our passion ought to be for those places where we gather. Yeah, the physical space, but more so the family space. The oneness. The friendship. The fellowship. There's a special word for fellowship in the Bible. Pete, our uh, youth and family minister, he talked about this before Christmas. It's this word koinonia. Koinonia is the word for fellowship in the Bible. Go ahead and say koinonia. Koinonia, koinonia means partnered help, sharing, together, specifically in the Bible, together in Christ. And it means communion. Communion, it's where we get our meal from that we're about to have at the end of this service today. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, his disciples who were very different from one another. Some of his disciples were religious. You have Simon the Zealot. Some of his disciples were blue-collar. They spent their time on the sea fishing. Simon Peter, James, John. You've got tax collectors. There's Matthew. You've got some that we don't really have a whole lot of detail on. Maybe there wasn't something very special about them. But all these different people gathered together around this one table. And Jesus called them friends. He said, I call you friends. And Jesus calls you friend too. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a lot of stuff to do? Would you rather have someone that you love, someone that you care about, look you back in the eye and say, you are my friend. There's real power in that. There's life transformation in that. There's real health in that. It will make your life longer. I heard somebody say that there's nothing better in life than good relationships. And then they said, and there's nothing worse in life than bad relationships. In the same studies that I was reading this week, it said that having good relationships in your life can add up to 10 years in your life. And I would say that having bad relationships, it can take, what, 40 years away? I don't know. We're seeking koinonia. We're seeking togetherness. We're seeking partnered help. We're seeking communion. Why does it make us live longer? I think it's because it's one of the only things in this world that can get us through those really tough times. Some tougher than others. My wife and I went through like a not very tough time, but kind of a frustrating time in the last couple of weeks. I wasn't here last week because we finally got... Uh, we finally contracted COVID last week. That wasn't fun. Um, thankfully, we had really, really mild symptoms, um, and uh, we're, we're grateful for that. But unfortunately for Abby, she had to spend five days with me in our house, just nowhere else to go. <laughs> and by the end, it was funny. You, you said to me, can you believe it? We spent five days together. We're not sick of one another. It's great, isn't it? I'm like, is this a surprise? Wasn't a surprise to me. She's amazing. But I can understand why it'd be hard for anyone else. 
You know, it was neat. Um, like, we were in our house together and alone. And, and for me, personally, there's not another person in the world I'd rather spend time with. I, this surprises people sometimes, but anytime that you take, like, personality tests, I always score as an introvert. I like to joke that I'm an introvert who likes to express myself, right? Like, introvert does not mean that you're shy. It just means that you get your energy from time alone. And so time alone with Abby is like heaven for me, right? And yet, we were seeking something else. Like, after the five days, we were both ready to see friends. Last week, when we weren't here on a Sunday, we were like, this is, we're missing something. Something wrong. There's something not good about this. But you know what's cool? For those of you who knew, and I found out that word gets out really quick, And I know that because I probably got like 50, 60 texts, calls. Hey, can we do anything for you? Do you need something? Can I bring something to your house? Is there anything you need to get done that we can go out and do for you? You were koinonia with us. And I'm sure we would have made it through COVID and survived and been fine. I get it. But we still felt like fulfilled because we still felt loved. Because you love God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you've expressed that in our lives. And I thank you for that. I want every single one of you to have that. I want every single one of you to have those kinds of friendships. Those things that get us through the moments when it feels like maybe our world is ending. Because there are times in our lives that we go through where it's way more difficult than a very mild case of COVID, right? There's a movie that came out on Netflix over Christmas break, and it's called Don't Look Up. Um, it, uh, it, it's a, kind of a controversial movie. Um, it gets into some political things, and when a satire movie gets into political things, people from the left and people from the right both get really, really angry. It's amazing how they unite over that. You never know, right, what God's going to use to bring people together. And so maybe if you've seen it and if you're tempted to think one way or the other about it, I'm asking you to look past that, and I, I instead want you to see this scene where you've got people sitting around a table and their world is about to end, literally. In the movie, the world is about to end and they know it. And you've got all these different people. You've got scientists. You've got people who stay home with the family. You've got a family that's split apart in the past, but now they're back together. You've got people who didn't even know one another at the beginning of this film. And they're sitting around together at a, at a dinner table. And they don't know what else to do. I mean, my goodness, what do you do? The world's ending. What do you do? The director of this movie said he analyzed every single angle that he could put into this final scene. You know, what's going to save us? What's going to get us through this moment? And he thought about his mom. The director's mom is a born-again Christian. And he thought, what's the point of the world ending if we don't have faith? That's what he said in an interview. And he decided to end his movie like this. Take a look. You got the head seat right there, all right? Oh. <laughs> You're way too kind, Brenda. Thank you. Big doctor. John Marlowe. Hey, cheers, everyone, huh? Cheers. cheers. Love you, baby. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for being here. It's, it's so special. Well, we're not the most religious here in the Mindy household, but um, maybe we, should we say amen? Should we do that? I mean, don't look at me. I don't know how to say You just say amen. I don't. I got this. I got it. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator, 
ask for your grace tonight, despite our pride, your forgiveness, despite our doubt. Most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. May we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and open hearts of acceptance. Amen. Amen. Wow, you've got some church game. That was beautiful. I don't, I don't know if the world's ending or not, but you know what's going to get us through anything? It's friendship. It's friendship with our Creator. And in having friendship with that Creator, love with that Creator from our heart and our soul and our mind, we will pour out love to our neighbor, to every single person around us, so it's no longer you and me, but it is us. It's we. There's something so unique about Jesus. The uniqueness about Jesus is his universality. Did I say that right? The uniqueness about Jesus is his universality. There we go. In that he relates to every single person. Every single one of us, no matter what seat you fill around the dinner table. Every single one of us, he has chosen to find common ground with. That ought to be enough for us to find common ground with the people around us. To be one with them. To celebrate our differences, but to be one. So it's your turn, church. Please get into a hope group. If you were in a, if you were in a life group, a small group before, we, we've made it simple. Now they're just called hope groups. Maybe you guys haven't met since the beginning of the pandemic. Let it be on you to call the rest of the group and say, it's time. We're doing it again. We're bringing the band back together. And maybe you're not ready to get together in person. We, we will set up Zoom rooms. We'll set up Teams rooms. Whatever we have to do, we'll set something up so that you can be together. And in this, I ask you to be open. Be open to the people around you, even those who might be different than you. But also be open about yourself, because maybe you're saying, you know what, I've tried groups before, and it doesn't work out. And every single group that I've ever gone to, it hasn't worked out. Well, maybe the problem isn't the group, but the problem is you, right? Be open, like, how am I relating to people? Am I giving this a real shot? Be patient. Your group will make you frustrated. They should. If you get that mixed into their life, you will probably frustrate one another because you'll be honest with one another. But be patient with one another. And simply just be together. Be together. Because Christ is the glue that holds you together. And the rest of the world, they might not understand it. But our doors are wide open. We say, come on, take a look. Look at what keeps us together. It's the love of Jesus. Let's remember the love of Jesus as we share this meal together. At a dinner table, like you saw in that clip, Jesus sat with his disciples. He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He said, this is my body and it's given for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And then again after supper, in the same way, he took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant 
It's my blood. It is shed for you and for the forgiveness of sin. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Hopefully on your way in, you got a little communion packet. If you didn't, our ushers are walking up and down the aisles right now and they can hand you one um, before we uh, go into the meal together. And if you have already, that's okay. But let's go ahead and say this prayer. Let's join around the table with our brothers and sisters, with our friends, with those who we have relationship with, with those we have koinonia, community, shared partnership with. I'm, I'm going to pause for just one second because I think we need to do this. You've been looking at me this whole sermon, but I want you to try something. Will you make eye contact with someone around you? Did you feel the chills? Did your stomach kind of... <laughs> or something like, no, don't ask me to do that. I also read this week that uh, when you look someone eye to eye, and I don't know enough about brain activity to know exactly what's going on, but what I found out was it's good what's happening in your brain. Something happens in your brain. Something's released that says this is good. And maybe it made you uncomfortable, but you felt it, didn't you? To look into the eye of a friend and then and have them call you a friend back. Let's pray together with those friends right now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand on up? Um, enjoy the meal that Jesus has prepared for you. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God. Let's sing together.